Welcome to episode five of A Prescription for Fair Drug Prices, a podcast by ICER, the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. My name is Jason Crowell, and I'm your host, and I'm joined today by Steve Pearson, the president of ICER. In today's episode, we're going to discuss how a drug gets its initial price and how to know what the fair price of a drug should be. Hello, Steve. Welcome back. Thank you, Jason. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I hope you are too. Doing fine. Thank you. So today, um, I just want to briefly recap. So far, we've talked about the problem of drug prices in America. We've talked about how drug prices poison the well for all of us, really. And we've talked about the fact that just like in life, healthcare is an either or. And so there are these trade-offs that we have to make all the time. And then most recently, we've talked about the complex system of the prescription drug market and that drug prices seem like a spider's web that's just impossible to entangle or even understand. And we've, we've been pretty descriptive about the problem so far, but today I thought we'd turn the corner and become prescriptive as we introduce our next theme, that when it comes to setting fair prices for drugs, we have to, here it comes, price the value. So we'll explain what that means in just a minute, but the two questions I thought we could focus on today are, who exactly determines a drug's initial price in the U.S. market, and how can we determine what a quote-unquote fair price should be for a drug? So for starters, I think we need to get on the same page about what we mean by price. So Steve, we talked about this just a little bit in the last episode, but before we go further, I thought it might be good to have just a brief refresher on what we mean when we say price. So when we're talking about the price of a drug, what price are we talking about? There, there are lots of different prices that are thrown out when we talk about drugs. So very briefly, can you just remind me on the difference between list price and net price and which is the most important price to think about? Ah, well, I wish I could do it briefly, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I mean, you remember we were talking about the spider's web of the drug distribution chain and all the different parties that are involved, um, pharmacy benefit managers, wholesalers, the pharmacy itself, the uh, health insurer, the employer, and the patient. And believe me, you can talk to people inside that web who know it as well as anybody and say, so what's the price? And they will cock their head and give you this quizzical look because there is no one price. People often don't even know the price that they're paying ultimately because it's like a back end discount that happens later in time. So it gets really confusing. And that unfortunately feeds into many of the problems that patients face and doctors face in understanding you know, what's a high value treatment. Um, so, a couple of the basics though, because there is some terminology that's worth knowing. Um, we're all familiar with list prices. When we go in to buy a car, there's a list price. It's the price, honestly, that nobody usually pays. Um, and we kind of know that when we go in. And similarly in the drug world, it's almost the same. There is a publicly available list price that's called the wholesale acquisition cost or WAC, W-A-C. And most of the public research that's done, academic research that's done on drug pricing, this is what they're, they were using because it's the only easily available price. But essentially nobody pays it um, with minor exceptions because once it enters the chain, there are immediate discounts and rebates. And then we start to talk about net pricing, net of those discounts and rebates. But it really depends because at each step of, the, of, the, of that path through the web, it can be different. So at the end of the day, we do talk about net pricing though, and usually when people talk about that, it's meant to include all the rebates, all the discounts, all the fees that a manufacturer, a drug maker would pay to other people in that web. Um, and it takes basically a bite out of the money that they get 
um, from that first higher list price. So it is hard to figure that out because the, the net price is different for different purchasers. So one pharmacy benefit manager will have a different net price than another. Medicaid gets an automatic discount off of the list price. Um, and so there are lots of different things that go on that kind of affect this net price aspect. And for patients, it really kind of determines, it depends a bit also what matters to them because if they're in the deductible part of their health insurance uh, benefit, that means that they actually are paying a percent usually, or sometimes the full price off of the list price. And even if there is a deep net uh, discount, the patients themselves don't actually benefit from that when they're paying for themselves at the pharmacy. So that was my brief answer to your good question. And you can see why people get uh, confused. You can see why people fighting about it in the political arena are able to throw around different prices and make different points. And it muddies the water a lot. All right, terrific. So now we're talking about what the price should be. And we're saying that the price should depend on the value. As we began, we said price the value. So in the course of our conversations, we've talked so much about the different governmental policies and regulations involved in new drug development. And so I'm tempted to assume here that the federal government must also play some kind of role in the pricing of drugs. But is that the case? What role does the government actually play in drug pricing? Really very, very low outside of Medicaid. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there is a kind of legal required discount for Medicaid. And it means that they either get a 23% discount off the list price, or they get the best price that's offered to any private insurer or pharmacy benefit manager in the marketplace. It was set up a long time ago just to make sure that Medicaid wasn't paying more uh, than the best deal that drug makers would cut with you know, some big insurer. Um, outside of that though, we are the only developed country in the world where the government doesn't have some role in negotiating the drug price using evidence usually, we'll talk about that. But the short answer is that the FDA is looking at the drug's clinical evidence of safety and effectiveness. They are almost reminded on a daily basis, do not think about the price, that's not your job. And usually the drug doesn't even have a price attached to it yet when the FDA is looking um, at it. So once the FDA makes its decision, and let's say it's approved, the drug is approved, then it's up to the drug maker to basically determine the price. And there are certain constraints on that that we can talk about, but the role of the government, the government basically says, we're kind of done with it now, over to you private market. All right, so if the government doesn't have any kind of restrictions on the initial price for a new drug, what then? I mean, what, what prevents the drug maker from setting the price wherever they'd like? What's the, what's, where, where are the checks and balances in the system? Oh, that's another great question. Um, there was one famous quote by a biotech pioneer years ago who had what, what people thought was the first drug that cost over $100,000 a year. And that was a shocking development at its time, shocking. And the CEO was asked, why did you price this drug over $100,000 a year? And the answer was, because we can. He had other things to say, too, about the value of the drug to patients. But the short answer is, it pretty much is to the drug maker. Now, what are they thinking about? They're obviously thinking about competition, if there is any. Um, remember, they have a patent. They may have exclusive, they will have exclusivity so that, you know, if they've got a new brand drug, someone can't copy that drug, but they might be competing against other brand drugs and they might from day one 
need to think about the price to be able to compete. But oddly, if we go back to that kind of opaque system where the list price really isn't the price that a pharmacy benefit manager is paying after a rebate, um, then sometimes the list price really doesn't matter and they'll set it high and then they'll start negotiating what rebates will kind of be available for different uh, payers. So the other thing though that the drug makers are thinking about in addition to competition is they're thinking about the public uh, and doctors. They really are. They, there was a famous case in which one company, the a company that made treatments for hepatitis C, um, they actually were required to hand over some of their internal documents to the Senate that was doing an investigation of drug pricing. And they had a grid, they had a chart inside the company and it listed things like key opinion leader pushback. Uh, what would employers say? What would you know advocacy groups say? And they were trying to judge, will we get any pushback if we price the drug this high or higher. And, uh, and that's, so that's a part of their thinking in the landscape is what people will think and what kinds of public relations damage, if you will, they might take. They also have to th think honestly about their investors and their um, revenues. Um, we have seen cases in which a company um, might have had two prized uh, new drugs coming through the FDA, but one of them didn't make it through and they had promised investors 30% revenue growth to keep their stock price where it is. Well, what do they do? They need to try to use the price of the drug that did make it through to make that 30% because they've made implicit or explicit promises, if you will, to the, to the market, to investors. So that's all swimming around in their head. And because we don't have, again, a federal process for negotiation, um, there's a reason for everybody to understand why drug prices tend to head up. Over time, we get the public at least and doctors even get more kind of accustomed, not just to $100,000 a year. Wow, that in cancer these days, that would be a cheap drug, whereas before it might have raised a ruckus. So all of these things kind of move over time, generally in one direction, which is up and which has somewhat been out of alignment to other factors in the health system or the economy, just because drug makers really ultimately can set the price. All right, so we've talked about um, pricing the value and, and setting a drug's price commensurate with the benefits it provides. So when we think about a fair drug price, fair seems like a debatable term. Um, so can you help me understand what are the different approaches one might take when trying to determine what a quote unquote fair prices for a drug? Uh, everybody loves the idea of fairness until you try to figure out what it means. And it, it, it fair, fair to me is unfair to somebody else is usually the answer. Um, and some people will start by saying, what a silly question to ask. When's the last time we asked what a fair price for a hospital bed was or for a thermometer in the hospital? I mean, there's a lot of questions around if we're talking about fairness, why are we just talking about drugs? And I would not dissociate myself from people who ask those good questions. But just the idea of a fair price, um, then you step back and you say, okay, if we kind of want a, the basic idea of, if we agree with fairness, we don't want unfair prices, but what does that really mean? So one way to think about it is, um, honestly, fairness is something that is a product of a free market, not something that we try to impose on it. And that we've all, if we've had, economics 101 at some point in our uh, education, 
we've seen the old graphs where supply and demand end up with a price that represents the price at which the demand from you know individuals meets the supply and it kind of works quote unquote um, we've talked already though on these podcasts around why with patents and exclusivity and kind of other features of the landscape um, the drug market is really not set up to work that way um, Plus, it's not patients who are buying these drugs. It's kind of middlemen, insurers, pharmacy benefit managers, and others. Um, and doctors are the ones who largely describe them. And doctors don't actually make a decision. Is this money I'm spending um, out of my pocket for this? No. So they're kind of not really functioning as the true consumer would in a, in a real market. So there are lots of reasons why the idea of just using the quote-unquote free market um, is not really viewed by most as a way to come up with a fair price. As I mentioned, it certainly um, in the United States has led to ever escalating prices. Okay, so if we're not gonna just let things ride with patents and monopoly, monopoly pricing power, et cetera, then what are we going to somehow think of as a way to have a different kind of structure to think about fairness? And here people usually fall into one of two camps. One is, I think it's fair if we look at the cost that it, you know, it was required to build this drug, going all the way back to the basic science that the company might have done, the risk that they took, the false starts with drugs that didn't make it through the pipeline, um, all the good research that they did, and then maybe the drug costs, you know, some money obviously to actually produce, to make out of a factory and to put it in a package and ship it out. And we wanna wrap all of those costs of research and development up and then give them some you know, fair profit on top of that. Not too much, but you know, some kind of fair profit that wouldn't be viewed as a windfall profit or price gouging. Now, lots of people think that that makes sense. Um, and it is a powerful way to think about fairness because we have seen lots of examples actually where a drug could be extraordinarily cheap to make, but the price is really, really high. And that just sticks in people's cross sometimes because it feels like drug makers are taking advantage of the situation. Um, there are some reasons, though, that health economists have not thought that that's the best way to price brand new drugs in a system. Their general view is that we do have, as a way to address the risk of investing in drug making and drug uh, kind of development, patents and exclusivity. And we want to give innovators a healthy reward, certainly in the short term, while they're kind of in that early exclusivity period. And then when the drug hits the end of that and drops into a generic competition phase, then the price should drop down to basically come close to the cost of productions, you know, with a, some kind of small profit on top that really is driven by the competitive free market. That's kind of the way that it's drawn on paper and on nice PowerPoint slides um, you know, around the world. Um, and again, that doesn't always work, um, especially for new drugs where people still feel that we would send the wrong kinds of incentives if we said, hey, look, if you have a really sloppy research and development process, you waste lots of money, you create a, you know, a super expensive drug to make um, when you could have done it cheaper, um, it, it doesn't make sense for us just to say whatever you bring forward that way, we'll pay you that cost plus a fair profit on top. What we're going to incentivize is sloppy research and development and a lot of me too drugs where you don't have to take much risk because you're just going to get, you know, a little bit over the cost of production. So why take a big risk and go for a clinical home run with some new mechanism of action or something. 
So that's the basically the what's called cost plus approach um, that some people will talk about, and it's a, certainly a you know a feature of most people's thinking about fairness. But the other way is to link the idea of the price to the value, the value of you know, the drug, what it brings in addition to what we can currently do for patients and families. And there are a whole other nest of issues and questions that come up, but this basic idea of pricing the drug to the value it brings is the dominant way that countries around the world, even poor ones, have thought of as a way to try to innovate and to incentivize the right kinds of uh, new drugs that they want to see. Drugs that really have demonstrated benefits for patients and for which we will pay a much higher premium if you get a drug that's a lot better than something else. Great, so often when I hear about pricing drugs based on the benefit they provide or value-based pricing like what you described, one of the caveats that I hear associated with that is that we should think about the benefit the drug provides at the level of the population. And I'm not sure I fully grasp the, the significance of that caveat. Can you help me understand what that means? Yeah, this is, un, this is one of the tensions around drug pricing and value um, and even clinical guidelines. And we can go all the way back. For practicing doctors, um, we think about evidence at a population level, but we care for people at an individual level. And that may mean that uh, a certain intervention, a certain test, a certain drug, a certain surgery might be um, absolutely um, of the greatest clinical value for the individual patient in front of me. Um, whereas the next patient with the same condition might have other kind of comorbidities or life issues that would make that same drug test, et cetera, uh, not the right thing to do, much less a, you know, a good value. It might just be the wrong thing to do. So we have this challenge that we need to be able to tailor care for individuals, but we do end up pricing things for everybody. And that means that we generally have to take some kind of average. If a drug, let's say, could be really, really helpful for some patients and much less helpful for others, we would love to be able to pay more, uh, honestly, for the patients for whom it's going to be a home run and just a little bit for those it's, for whom it's going to be a bond single. Um, but what we end up really having in a, in a healthcare system is usually kind of one general list price, again, against which there are going to be different rebates from different payers for different payers. But we do it, but we, when we say a population level, it basically means looking at the broad effects of the drug over the full kind of, indi, uh, kind of eligible population, if you will, of patients. How would we say the average effects, both the good and the bad, sum up to come up with a price that we would say on average represents the clinical value of the drug for the population. All right, Steve, well, this sounds, uh, sounds great. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? We just look at the, the value provided um, and set the price commensurate with that. But I, I guess um, I have to ask the question, isn't it debatable how much benefit or value a drug provides? Isn't that something that we could um, squabble over? Oh, squabble with a capital S, um, <laughs> Q-U-A-B-B-L-E, yes. Um, to, because the term fair, if you try to say, well, what's fair is, is lining the price up with the clinical value, you've only bought yourself a different fight. Um, because now, of course, believe me, every doctor, every patient person knows that when it's a treatment that could help someone in your family or you, 
the value seems really high. Even the hope of having some benefit seems like a value. So what we have to do is to do the hard work and look each other in the eye and say, look, the value is not unlimited. Can we all agree on that? If we can't, then, then, we, then we really can't get started. But if we can say, look, every drug might be of inestimable value. Let's say it saves lives, some lives. We don't know which ones yet, but it saves lives. So we could say, you know, life is priceless. So we shouldn't even try to say what the value is and say the price will somehow reflect that. But I think the hard work that every health system, actually every society really ultimately has to do is to look itself again, honestly in the mirror and say, okay, let's just talk frankly. Ultimately, we have limited resources and we can say we could, you know, we could spend more on healthcare. We could do less for again, for defense spending or less on the environment or less for education. Ultimately, we've got this idea of limited resources. Let's do the best we can with it and make some decisions around how we talk about clinical value. And this is where techniques come into play. Some of them empirical, some of them much more qualitative, but the anchor approach uh, academically and in policymaking, both in the United States and around the world, to try to get a handle on clinical value, if you will, or value for money is cost effectiveness. So it's the tools of cost effectiveness that end up becoming the next great frontier or the next great battle as we try to figure out what fair pricing means. All right, you have my interest. So I guess um, next week I'll bring my calculator and we will get down to it. Does that sound like a plan? You need a calculator and you need a suit of armor. If you got both, <laughs> we're ready to go. All right, very good. We will pick up there next week discussing cost effectiveness. Um, Steve, thank you for your time this week. You too, Jason. Talk to you then. So we've talked today about how a drug should be priced according to its value, but what does that really mean in a granular sense? In the next episode of A Prescription for Fair Drug Prices, we'll discuss what cost effectiveness is, and I promise to not let Steve get too wonky or professorial on us. We'll see you next week.